0: You guys use the the language all the time, we're bottling that lightning. The thing that got you into this, why you care so freaking much, um, is what we have to transfer into your sales process. Because otherwise, it does just become selling the facts, right, and and when you hand that off to a salesperson, it ends up kind of not landing, because anyone can sell the facts. But when we can sell why, the thing that got you into this thing, why you care so freaking much, that you've put your life, into this company, that's the secret sauce.
1: Culture. I appreciate you joining us here. We're at our our own Scale annual retreat here at Lake Travis, just outside of Austin, Texas, in this beautiful lake Como here with Jason Sheffield, uh, our lead coach at Scale. I'm Jeremy Pound, CEO of Scale, as you may or may not know. And we wanted to take a moment to film this video before we leave town because we're all heading out to the airport on this gorgeous sunny day, probably 55, 60 degrees. It's outstanding. Beautiful. Just wrapped up an amazing annual retreat and one of the things that came out of the preparation for the retreat was preparing some metrics, looking back at the previous year, going through everything, where did, where did deals come from, what worked, what didn't, so that we could have sober eyes looking forward into 2020. And one of the reports that we looked at was, how many property managers have entered the Renscale ecosystem? How many people have come through And, and uh, one of the things we do is, if you enter the Renscale ecosystem, the first thing everybody does is they go through the blueprint. We help them design, A blueprint for scaling their company on the sales and marketing side. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the key deliverables of that is a playbook. And what we found out is that since uh, I was on Jordan's podcast and since we came up with this idea to start helping property managers systematize and operationalize their sales process, um, we have written over 70 playbooks. That was pretty impressive. We thought about that. 70 different property managers across probably Sixty markets, maybe fifty-five. Thinking yep. about a little bit overlap, different parts of the country, offering the same exact product service yeah. in in a multitude of ways. Mm. We have um, really become intimate with the industry, with the best practices, with the ways way people are doing it. And so, what we want to do, what Jordan challenges to do, is why don't we reflect and share? What are the highlights? What have we learned by going through this process seventy times, creating the deliverable? Of a sales playbook seventy times for seventy different companies, which is really impressive. And so, Jordan, I want you to. St- uh, sorry, Jason, I want you to start. I think we've done about half and half. You've probably even written more at this point. It's, maybe the scales have tipped. But when you look back,
0: what what are the highlights? What's the first thing that jumps out to you that you've learned that you were surprised by? Hmm. That we can be in an industry, you know, where there's, we've done this over 70 times and everyone is still deeply unique right? Because, you know, and the funny thing is we, we talk with owners and they come in and they're like, ah, this is probably just like everyone else's, right? Like we're all the same. There's nothing really that that's that, that different. But at the end of the day, when we review the playbook and we look at it, you can see the unique fingerprint of every company within each of the playbooks because there's so much more about just what it is you sell what we're designing is how you sell it and how you sell it is unique to you, right? All of us might be coming at it from the same, same thing, the same product, but it is in the how that is uh, really where the special sauce is, right? I mean that's kind of going to be what leads to people trusting you and picking you and working with you over someone else. And so, to me, one of my favorite things is diving into that and really pulling that out of the people that are selling, whether that's the owner, whether that, those are the BDMs, and then seeing the illumination come from that and people realizing, like, wow, we, we really do have something that's unique. We really are doing something that's different. Maybe we, we didn't have a big enough mindset to realize that uh, up to this point because we never really sat down and looked at it. We just looked at the facts. And when we start dig- digging into stories, we start digging into how you delivered it, how you've taken care of your customers, how you cared for your owners or how you sold your owners. It is, you know, everyone is so different. And this is my point. I've, I've
1: literally heard this line before. Somebody later got on the phone with me and I've asked them, you know, we're, we're, we're asking questions before we write and I've, I've, I've heard this specific complaint or objection. That what? What do you mean? How do I do it? Don't we all do the same mm-hmm, thing? Like there's totally. there's no there's nothing special about this. Yeah. We just we manage the property, right? So I'm curious to hear from you. What are some of the unique things specifically, right? You have any examples where somebody two different people
0: are selling the same thing just at like polar opposite ends of the spectrum? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's in our process of, of the blueprint uh, where we're designing those um, those elements of your ideal client. Right, so you might be selling the exact same product, but the client that you're servicing is vastly different. And so then how we talk about that client, how we care about what this client's specific pains might be, or what it is that they're looking to understand when it comes to having their property on a rental market is deeply unique because you've designed your services to care for that person, whether you've realized it or not. And sometimes we get into this and owners realize like, oh my God, we are so teed up and and we gain clarity to understand how we're selling it uniquely to this. We're fit for this person. We don't want to work with that person. And sometimes I think people... start to get illumination around the idea that sometimes it's in the know of who we don't want to serve, that we gain the clarity for who we do want to serve. And sometimes that's one of the fun things is they come yeah. in and realize like, oh yeah, we want to serve everyone. We'll take everyone. We'll take any any type of door. Right. Uh, it's like a disaster. And totally. And when we dive into that, that's where you really start to see some of the unique elements, right? So yeah. you might be servicing or selling the exact same product, right? It's 10% for me to manage your, mo- your property every month. But how we go about that is gonna carry such a different level of uh, care. And, and every owner has a reason why they're in the industry. There's, a, there's something that got you into this thing. And you, that's your fingerprint. And so a lot of times the blueprints process is getting us to pull that out of you, right? I, I, you guys use the, the language all the time, we're bottling that lightning. The thing that got you into this, why you care so freaking much, um, is what we have to transfer into your sales process because otherwise it does just become selling the facts, right? And, and when you hand that off to a salesperson, it ends up kind of not landing because anyone can sell the facts. But when we can sell why the thing that got you into this thing, why you care so freaking much that you've put your life into this company, that's the secret sauce. So this
1: is, this is fascinating because I, I, I was immediately reminded of, you know, ideal customer, right? So we're writing a playbook, and that's one of the first things we do. We don't start writing anything until we know who the customer is because you can imagine that if we're serving an accidental landlord holding a property in San Diego, right, which is clearly a uh, appreciation market, right? They may not even be renting it out to cover cash flow, mm-hmm. but they're holding on to the asset for a time as the market increases. It's a really different value proposition than when you're selling to somebody in western Indiana who probably doesn't even live in Western Indiana. They're an investor from New Jersey who's just buying a property with the sole intention of creating an investment property, right? So right. the whole playbook cascades from there. Yeah. Who are you speaking to? what are the benefits of that how are they going you know what, how are they going to respond to that what do they care about and yeah. so that's a great point right there yeah. is
0: and I think the thing that's interesting is you find that um, there's a lot of hesitancy because especially when the company is growing and you're in growth mode and you're in this this scale mode right you're looking to double your door count you, there's a lot of times a sense of well, we want to bring on as many people as we can, and so then that's when you fall into the fallacy. Okay, well, our product is like everyone else's, yeah. And so you think, well, we got to, we can't narrow our focus to grow the way we want to grow. That's it's the paradox, right? It's the paradox it, because it's all about it is actually in the narrowing. It is speaking to that ideal client yeah. that is going to give you the the juice that you need to truly scale your company.
1: This is what we do at Rinscale, exactly for ourselves mm-hmm. for our own business. Yeah. This is something I've learned at several companies. Um, and several clients over you know two decades of growing companies. The the paradox as you said, it is it is narrowing your focus. It is that deliberate intention and walking around, you know, um, speaking, dressing, acting, talking the way that you need to to to, attr- to attract the right client that magnetizes the market. It pulls out more customers by yeah. by focusing on by taking on less customers you actually pull out more customers. Exactly. Right? It's such a paradox.
0: It's amazing. Well and the thing is is it's scary. Right. Because there's, when you, we kind of come from this mindset often that like, is this really going to work? Right. Because there's everything says yes. Right. Everything we know in our heads, yes, this is going to work, but it's taking that leap. And a lot of times, uh, and our, our experience tells us that the way we got to where we are is by servicing whoever we need to service. And so a consistent theme I, I hear is, you know, owners that have gotten to this place where they're at 100 doors, 200 doors, 300 doors, it was a land grab, right? They were willing to bring on every single person that they could yeah. because they needed to. And then, frankly, when maybe you're at that size of the business, that is how that is where you're at, right? There's ebbs and flows to this thing. It's not always going to be you do it exactly thing, right? We we're talking about, you know, what got you here is not going to be what gets you to where you want to be. And so, awesome. what got you to 300 doors is not going to be what gets you to 600 doors. And that's typically who we're talking to: it's the people that are ready to get to 600. And what we find is that's when you have got to niche down. That's yeah. when you got to you, now you know who. you're Ideal client is you've got you've done three hundred doors you've had a lot of different experiences you know who you like working with right you know the personalities now it's time to double down and focus on those people because they're going to be what gets you to six hundred and beyond it is a leap of faith I love that you say that it can be scary because it's new yeah I immediately
1: think about Indiana Jones and that scene where he has to walk out over the gap <laughs> right right it is the faith that the bridge is there that yeah. makes the bridge there and and yeah. anyone who didn't believe was falling but if you had the faith the bridge was there yeah. you were somehow able to get to the other side. Yeah. I think of that all the time in business as I'm growing, Right, it's well,
0: gonna take some faith to move on to the and, next level. And it, you know, the other thing that I love as we've done this thing now over 70 times is the amount of trust that we get from owners. Great point. Because- you Take that very seriously. Yeah, we do. And I, I have a lot of gratitude towards our owners that they're willing to, because effectively we're that invisible bridge, right? We're saying, okay, Mr. Owner, you're staying on the ledge. Trust us. You wanna get to this goal that you have. We're the invisible bridge. We're asking that you step out and trust us, and then walk the path. And they do. It's amazing, right? And that's yeah. and that's the thing that we've seen, and I think that's the that's the excitement. That's the the thing that kind of keeps us yeah. going. And, and what I, it for me? Gets, <laughs> that's a little cheesy, but yes. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to the podcast, uh, Jordan and Jeremy has a, a blessed coffee uh, cup that was here cup, at the Airbnb so. when we arrived. I immediately uh, grabbed onto it. Yes.
1: Gratitude. Hey guys, Jordan and Jeremy here. We wanted to pull you away from this episode for a second to tell you about an online training we've put together to show you exactly what the fastest growing property managers in America are doing. You're gonna learn how to attract the clients you want, protect the margins in your business, and consistently set and hit meaningful sales goals each and every quarter. Now there's a simple but powerful framework that will help you do this. And I'll walk you through all four steps of the framework. We started RentScale because of the gap between how much effort and process goes into the operational side of the business compared to sales and marketing. Even though the growth function is arguably where the bulk of the value-creating potential exists for each and every business owner. The answer is going pro. The answer is operationalizing sales. And I'm not going to lie, it's really hard work but the reward is worth the price. And that's the reason we've gone so far down the rabbit hole of property management sales. We've now built sales playbooks for over 70 property management companies and the results have been extraordinary. I really wanted to break the art of scaling down into a proven, repeatable process that any business owner can implement. It's called the blueprint for doubling your door count in the next one to three years, while replacing yourself and building a team you love. And it's totally free. You can find it online at doublemypm.com. That's doublemypm.com. PM being short for property management, of course. We basically spilled everything we do to help managers grow on this one training. So make sure to get to doublemypm.com today. Enjoy the rest of this episode, guys, and see you on the training. So I yeah. want to transition, Jace. I wanna I wanna pull out something you hinted at a couple of minutes ago, and it was about what the rest, how the rest of the company responds to the playbook. One of the things that mm. I've been that I've learned during this seventy times is the insane amount of uh, culture lift that comes out of getting clarity on who your customer is, what your unique selling proposition is. So, so let's talk about let's talk yeah. about the the halo effect, the mm. spillover of galvanizing an, an entire team around a message and a goal and a purpose once the playbook's done. Can you share some stories about how that's changed companies and the feedback we've gotten?
0: Yeah, you know, I think where, where you really start to see it come is um, a lot of times there's this fear when you start to build out a sales team. So we work with a lot of different clients. So we're just gonna, I'm gonna pick one kind of scenario, sure. paint one picture of the type of owner where maybe the owner's been the key one doing the sales. Um and he's built all the other elements of the organization and it's running well, right? We've got our property managers or our teams, however you organize, but those are the people that are really taking care of the, the, the owners and the tenants, you got your leasing agents, and you got finance, you got all the other elements. And, but as the owner, you've been carrying sales, right? Because it's your thing and, and you're ready to to now introduce a new person into that. And that's a big shift to the culture, right? Because a lot of times I think operations and sales, they can kinda of be at the other ends of the chasm sometimes, right? Sure. There's some fear that's there that if you sell more doors, that's more work I have to exactly. do. Exactly. I don't, and don't know if I want you to do that. And I don't want you bring on the type of owners that are yeah. gonna be a pain and bla da You can tell 'next and now they're asking about it. And I gotta answer and, it. So it's 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 kind of painful the beauty of the culture and the lift that we get by going through this process is when I'm sitting down, maybe the PMs are part of the process with the owner and we're talking through these things because they've been in the business for the last couple of years. All of a sudden they start to gain a deeper understanding about who they were working with. When we work on our unique selling proposition, or we work on our, our workshop on the ideal client or we work through these things, they're now getting a deeper sense of who it is that they're serving. And all of a sudden they realize and almost trust the sales process, on a deeper level than they ever did before because it was just the owner with the shut door bringing doors on. Mm-hmm. And there's a high level of trust in the owner because it's his business. He's, he's the one, I don't have any say. But the moment there's one degree of separation, now all of a sudden a lot of opinions start opinion coming out, now. right? Yep. A lot of opinions that start coming. That guy doesn't coming. sign my check. I have a strong opinion about what, he, what he's doing and exactly. how he's doing it. Exactly, and yeah. so the culture though, this lift, this, this factor by going through a blueprint process like this comes when now everybody is in alignment. Because that's one of the key factors to scaling is yeah. alignment, right? If you don't have alignment across your team, you, it is really, really, really hard to get to. to... The, the visual that I immediately go
1: to when I, when I hear the word alignment is uh, the row team, right. right? You got you got six rowers in a boat, and if mm-hmm. one guy is just half a second off from the rest, it's yeah. chaos. Yeah. But when everybody is hitting the water. Exactly at the same time yeah. you fly. That's the team that gets first place.
0: How how aligned is the team? That depends who wins the race. And, and to push that out just a little bit further, but you've got to have the person on the microphone calling, yes, the, calling the rhythm, the leader. The you've got to have that process right. Absolutely. And that person isn't deviating. It's not their opinion of when they think everybody's you know paddle should be hitting the water. It is preset and everyone agrees. But they trust that person to make it happen. Absolutely. And sometimes that can happen through leadership and sometimes that also happens by a commitment to the process, yeah. a commitment to the blueprint saying, we know that if I follow X, Y, and Z consistently every single time, I'm going to get to where I want to be. It's going to work. Yeah. But it takes a lot of trust, right? It takes it a does. lot of trust in that person. It, I want to hammer on this culture lift because one of the things that, that I want to say explicitly is
1: that the feedback that I love to get that happens over and over again is from the non sales people yeah. in the company right my operations team is so excited about this new value proposition yeah. um one of the things that has to, that comes out of a really good uh, sales playbook process is stories, yeah, right? The the legends, the call, mm-hmm. like the epic legends. This guy had this problem, and things were going terrible. We took on his portfolio, and everything changed, right? Yeah. We have these accidental landlords. Uh, you know, we can go over and over again. But we'll tell a specific story about somebody who you know decided to rent out their home while they went away or they were redeployed. And when they came back, they bought four more properties, right? These like, are
0: the legends that spread through the whole company. Totally, like an owner. We were just working through this process, and I was gaining these stories, pulling them out of them, and. We were working on some of the elements of the unique selling proposition and how they position themselves. And he's like, you know, we really go above and beyond. And I kind of paused and I said, all right, man, that's great. Anyone can say that, right? It's a little kitschy. It might be a little cliche to say that we go above and beyond. He's like, no, 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 man. Literally, I was in a courthouse working for one of our clients through an eviction. And the judge looked at me and goes, I've done a lot of these and you go above and beyond for your clients. I was like, done, dude. When you've got that story, when you can say, I've been in the courthouse, and someone completely outside of your organization tells you that you're going above and beyond, that's a story you can tell. Great story. Uh, Another story I want to share is is a property manager
1: we worked with, they loved it. Um, they were basically they had a they had a rule in the company mm-hmm. that no customer communication could go more than four business hours without being responded yep. to, right? And so it was it was a it was the owner's intention. That's what he did. That's yeah. what he taught his team. That's what they were pretty much doing. They weren't measuring it. They were doing all the work, but they were getting zero of the marketing mm-hmm. effect. So we leaned into that. And we said, why don't we tell our customers that you know you you do that? Mm-hmm. And and we came up with a tagline. We came up with a really. Uh, economical uh, way to say that so people understood how how responsive they were and then they went to the the operations team and they said guys you know we've done this we're gonna start measuring it turns out the average response time was like two hours huh. and the team didn't realize that yeah. so they, they made it they made they put a big spotlight on it they made a leaderboard so people knew exactly how long their average response mm-hmm. time was to to customers to owners and they went out in the marketplace and that one created more business for them and mm-hmm. gave the the BDM, the salesperson, more confidence that so they actually had a differentiator, right? When when the customer said, I'm meeting with three people, why should I choose you? She um, She had an amazing, high impact, unique value proposition. And that's great. That's what we do. What I loved hearing was the owner said, you know what? I see the operations team. They're owning this. They're walking around, standing up a little taller, talking about, their rapid response time, their average response time. And, and, and it just created this entire cultural lift that was way outside of the sales yeah. team.
0: And that's what I think a really good
1: play, playbook does. So I wanted to share that story.
0: Well, and the thing that, that you know, for everyone that's listening, uh, uh, what I know, I'm doing this 70 times, every time I get on a call with an owner and we start this process, they come in and like, that's great for them. I don't have anything like that. I don't have any, there's nothing unique about it. There's nothing unique. And the, the beauty, now after 70 times with confidence, I can say that's not true, Yes. right? You gotta spend a little bit of time and through our, our process and working together, yep. there are always these stories. And for anyone that's listening like, that's what you gotta go find. Yeah. That's that secret sauce is what are those stories? Because sure. there are things that are unique because you're unique, right? Everybody gets hung up on originality, especially when we talk about unique selling propositions and differentiators and differentiators and originality somehow have correlated with each other mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think is helpful because it's not true. Differentiation doesn't mean you're original. Differentiation means it's your unique fingerprint on whatever it is. Absolutely. That's the differentiation. So it's quick, getting hung up on how are we original in the marketplace. You're not. No one's original. No one. Not 100%. There's no originality out there. Yeah. It's about how you look at it. And your unique position in the market, what you do, your experience, who you are as a human being, that's what makes your business different. And until you start believing that about yourself and your organization, you're not going to get that lift and you're not going to get that culture lit. And so that's to me part of this process yeah. and how that affects the culture, because that inspires people, right? We'd say yes. it all the time, right? 100%. The facts don't really matter. They just tell people things. Yep. At the end of the day, it's stories that are going to lift your culture and sell and yep. provide facts, tell, that little, exactly. Wait, so what everything
1: you just said about it's how you look at it's how you do things, that's specifically true to service-based businesses, yeah. right? So if you you know if, you, if everyone's selling you know the same piece of steel yeah. right, it's easy to weigh the steel to look at the steel. It, you know it's it's X it's apples to apples mm-hmm. right. But any service-based company, especially a complex service-based yeah. company like property management, um, there's so much nuance, and that's why that's true. And so that transitions me to the last thing I want to focus on on what we've learned because I will say myself personally, and I know you, we haven't really talked about it, but I've learned a shit ton about <laughs> Uh, real estate investing, right? About taxes, about appreciation—just unbelievable. Seventy different ways to learn about. You can imagine the uh, the information we've accumulated. And so, my big takeaway—I learned this real early on, and, and and you know, if you've worked with me in coaching, you've probably heard me say this before. Uh, property management is not a single service. It's actually a portfolio of services, right? You're doing financial work. You're doing maintenance work, right? You're yeah. doing you know, consulting work about real estate investments, when to sell, when to buy, what to buy, what not to. You're doing tenant screening and tenant finding. Right. It's absolutely unbelievable, right? So uh, selling... Property management is really complex. Delivering on property management, which is, you know, by the way, outside of the scope of what we do, but I have a lot of appreciation for you guys when yeah. we talk to you and we see how many departments you have, how many things you are able to operate on with uh, with precision and with reliability. It's, it's mind blowing. So, but what that means is, when somebody is buying property management, whether it's the first time, the fifth time, the tenth time, there's going to be a lot of things they don't understand, mm. right? And it's all about Understanding where the client is in in terms of knowledge, and having a toolbox full of ways to, to take them to the next level, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you're talking to an actual landlord, you know, of course, they're going to get hung up on this idea that my mortgage is X to carry the property. Well, you're you're going to rent it for Y, and all the, they're laser focused on that spread, right? They're not thinking about things like you know appreciation of the of the asset, the tax advantages based on their situation, right? So, if you're going to do property management sales. You're actually, you know, kind of a borderline financial consultant, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're really advising them on their situation. So to me, that's the thing I've learned is that when you're selling property management, the market has buying criteria that's wrong. Mm-hmm. They're focused on the cost. What's yeah. your management fee? What's your policy? The real buying criteria is how much money do I make at the end of the year? Right. how much how much money do I make after three years five years why I sell the property what's my ROI right and and a lot of that does not involve the, the the things you know that involve the management fee it's keeping a tenant it's 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 keeping a tenant for three years instead of one year right? right it's making sure that you invest in the property and you replace the AC at the right time not the wrong time right over over time it's making a strategic improvement that changes the the demand for the property or increases the rent right so it, it's under understanding the buying criteria that the customer's showing up with versus the buying criteria that you're way more qualified to talk about because you do this every day, right? And it's about bridging that gap without creating a ton of conflict or judgment, right? Just being, you know, I understand where you're you're thinking that, let me tell you some stories that yeah. may change the way you think about and rewiring that prospect's mind and their buying criteria. That's what I think the most successful property managers are doing.
0: Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that is there's a lot of misinformation about managing a property right there's a lot of things that people you know why they're coming into it why they think they they need to put their property on the market and what they need out of it is just misinformed yeah and so I think that's one of the, the hard elements about selling. Is you're saying their buying criteria is wrong? It's because their buying criteria is misinformed. Misinformed, yeah. And so they think there's a there's a level of simplicity that is going to be what's needed. That's just frankly not true, right? Yeah. There's complexity. There's all these other things that they're not thinking about. Mm-hmm. And so there's an art as a salesperson to take someone that is coming to you misinformed and gently being the advocate for them in their information gathering. Right? Yeah. You're advocating for their best result. And there's an art to that. And I'll tell you that's one of the things that we've learned by going through this process is when you begin to adopt the artistic elements of selling, right? Not just giving them all the facts, not just giving them the details, not going to their level yeah, well, of what they're looking for. It's that's showing pains. up and throwing up, as exactly. we like to say. Because often that's how we educate, yeah. right? I mean, sadly, that's how we think about education is, If I know it, you should know it. The, the more so, I tell
1: you, the more you're gonna buy. Exactly, so sit
0: here and listen to me for the next 20 minutes, yeah. right? That's just you being a teacher, that's not selling. Right? So we talk a lot about how do you elevate people from where they're at to the outcome that they maybe don't realize that they're looking for, but they ultimately need. Yeah. And a good salesperson, a great salesperson knows how to get them from A to B in that process. Absolutely. And unless you practice it and unless you know it in and out, and unless it's something that is just in your bloodstream. It's not going to happen, frankly. And I'll tell you, that's the thing I see happening over and over, is the the people that have it, have it. But the way they got there is through repetition and clarity, not by winging it. Mm-hmm. And sadly, a lot of people just tend to, to wing it. Because yeah. when it, it works with the people that are at the top 3%, who are ready to buy, they need it, they, they're looking to make the decision. And so when we wing it, or we show up and throw up on them, and they buy, we think, awesome, it I did it, it worked. <laughs> but we don't think about the... Freaking ninety-seven percent of the market that we miss out on because of how we present ourselves, the Absolutely. energy we bring to those conversations. And yeah. so that's the other big takeaway for me of what we've seen and, and really the confidence of saying when you do this, you're going to increase your results. Because we know how you're currently selling. And frankly, again, it's not converting, it's not getting you to the places where you want to go. Yeah. You gotta change the basics. You gotta change the fundamentals. We gotta go back to some of these very basic things. Like how does the first three to five minutes of the phone call go, right? That's instrumental of how you re-educate someone when they're coming into you based on misinformation yeah. and getting them to where they want to go.
1: I want to ask you one more question because I know we're, we're getting closer to the end of this. So one of the things that I, I think is worth pointing out is that we've worked with several um, property managers that are franchisees, yes. right? They're, they're franchises. So you know, when I think about like a key runner, um, RPM, uh, you know, um, all county, mm-hmm. and of course, Winners Warehouse. Yeah. Right, we have several clients uh, in each of those franchises. Uh, do they, Don't they just have the exact same playbook? No.
0: <laughs> no, right? I mean, think about it. The the franchises, the the, the power of, of working with the franchise is there. There's some unique elements that each franchise offers. Right. There's yeah. differentiators mm-hmm. and. And the beauty of of being a part of sometimes working with a franchise, and that's your business model, is um, you've kind of been given that set of differentiators. You've been given some of those things, functions, features that are going to be different in the marketplace from someone else. But at the end of the day, you're still the owner. And there's still a fingerprint that's unique about why you've gotten into this, why you've aligned yourself to this franchise versus that franchise. And again, we're Switzerland. We don't care. At The end of the day, right? We are neutral. Yeah. Uh, but the beauty, value, exactly. The beauty is that have, there's still value to be added because what what the franchise is bringing you is is the ground level, mm-hmm. and the people that are killing it, that are just growing exponentially versus others are the ones that have figured out how to bring their fingerprint into the franchise. And that's the thing I've seen, right? And you think about, okay, well, if you're with franchise X, shouldn't you all be at the same level? Shouldn't you all be kind of at this place? And the reality is that's not how it works because it's the 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 blocking and tackling. It's these these tools. It's how you implement these things. How you talk about them. It's all and it customizing
1: all, it to the market exactly. Right. So we've got a friend, the one franchise that's in Denver that's also in Tulsa. Right. You can imagine the difference between those two markets. We've got a franchise that that's in Richmond, Virginia versus Houston, Texas. Right. You can imagine the difference in the property types, the personality types, the language. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. We're taking. This operational standard that the franchise is setting, mm-hmm. and we're helping them explain it and customize it in the local language, right? Yeah, and based on the owner's unique uh, flavor of executing those operational standards, mm-hmm. and so it's really the nuance, right? That's yeah. why. Our seventy playbooks are so different exactly. because we've taken the unique proposition, we've taken the ideal target, we've taken the geographic market you're yeah. in. What kind of language do they speak? Yeah, right? what you're doing that in Chicago
0: think. is not going to be the same as what you're doing in San Diego, right? Yeah. You're, how that that you talk about that is going to be so vastly
1: different. Absolutely. So, so I want to wrap it up because I know we've used our time up, but this was a really fascinating conversation. I got to tell you, I feel like this could have been a series of episodes. Yeah, right? you know, we didn't even scratch. Uh, you know the 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 top the surface of what we were going about, but I think that we focused on the most surprising things to us and the most transformational transformi- things so if you 've done the playbook we 'd love to hear from you. Uh, respond to this, you know, on the comments if you can. You know, tell us what you learned going through uh, the sales blueprint and designing your own playbook process. I'd love to hear it. And if you haven't done it yet, you know, make sure you're thinking hard about who your ideal client is, and you're being disciplined. You really are taking the time to think through what your unique selling proposition is. You understand your local market, and you're focusing on the outcomes you deliver. Right. So I always think about the pyramid. We all know that benefits are above features, right? So features are the foundation. What are the benefits the owner is getting? And then what's most important, what's most value, is what's the outcome that you're delivering, right? It's all about outcomes. And, and until you truly understand those things, you're not really operationalizing your sales process. So I appreciate you being here. Yes. Keep growing the company. Keep investing in the scale culture. And we hope to see you again.